Let us now turn to words which we shall find in the portion of Scripture read. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, and we shall read again from verse 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, <coughs> ye may say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the rook, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant ploughing a feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down after to me? Will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and cheat myself, thyself, and say me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. So they thanked him, that servant, because he did the things which were commanded of him, I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Particularly the last words, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. We see here the master saying to his disciples <coughs> that uh, they should uh, forgive anyone who would come to them to repent of something they had done or said. If uh, 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 take heed to yourselves, if they trespass against thee, rebuke them, and if uh, he repent, forgive him. And uh, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou must forgive him. Mm. Uh, it must have been very difficult for the disciples to understand uh, this exhortation by the Lord. Uh, the apostle said unto uh, the, the Lord, increase thou faith. When we see Peter again, I think it's in Matthew 18, verse 22, or, uh, saying, How often will I forgive my brother if he comes to uh, uh, unrepent? Uh, and he himself says, Will I forgive him seven times? Not only seven times, says the Master, but seventy times seven. And that's a very big number, 490 times. Of course, the implication there is that he should always forgive him. Forgive his brother if he repents. If he repents. And uh, it is not surprising to hear the uh, apostle saying, Lord, increase our faith. But I think it wasn't an increase of faith so much as an understanding of what the Lord was saying to them, the life that they should lead, because they were forgiving themselves. 
How many times a day does the Lord forgive each one of us? This is what we have to, uh, this is uh, what we have to reckon with when we are dealing with uh, people who sin against us and yet come back and repent. Uh, the apostles, of course, had to complete forgiveness in the sins, uh, whatever might happen uh, in the course of their lives, for that was covered by the atonement. And uh, uh, to forgive seven times would stretch perhaps the faith of many of us. Or at least we wouldn't think very much of the man who came the seventh time uh, having uh, uh, having sinned against us and uh, came back a seventh time to repent. But the Lord goes so far with this that uh, he leaves Peter uh, amazed at uh, the forgiveness which he uh, gives to his people. But he's actually reminding them of the great forgiveness that was given to themselves. Every day we are forgiven many sins. But we all sin daily in thought, word and deed. We don't see our own sins and we don't see the sins of others, except when they come out into the open. But the omniscient God sees the corruption of our hearts all the time. Not only does he see it, but he has been seeing it on the foundation of the world. The omniscient of God knows the end from the beginning and he sees these things in our heart. He knows also the value of the atonement that was rendered to enable anyone to forgive because it is as a result of the atonement that anyone would be able to forgive. I don't intend to stay at that point, but uh, we see then that uh, uh, he brings before them this, uh, that uh, which of you having a servant playing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he is coming from the field, go and sit down to me. Will he not rather say unto him, make ready for which I may sup and save thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and then afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. We are not uh, perhaps familiar with the uh, service of those who were servants in the East. Usually these servants were bought publicly. Well, we are bought with a price, there's no doubt about that. Uh, we have never been able to evaluate that price which was paid for uh, our redemption. But uh, the servant in the East, he had to with cattle or horses or mules or whatever it was or asses to plow in the field and then when he would come home he had to serve his master. No doubt his master was with him in the field at times uh, too to show him what he had to do. But when he came home naturally he would have to take off his dungarees or whatever he was wearing. There were no dungarees at that time I suppose but uh, he would have to take off his dirty clothes and his dirty boots and uh, turn uh, attention to the kitchen. Well, this would be done not by male servants uh, with us today, or, but by female servants, uh, generally. But uh, this servant had to first, before he would eat anything himself, he had to prepare a meal for his master. Now, <coughs> when he was, uh, uh, when uh, uh, he would, uh, cook his meal, 
and bring it before the master. And uh, his master had died, no matter how long he would take, it is only then that he himself was allowed to partake of the meal that was prepared. And even then, it uh, was a privilege to be allowed to feed of the same, at the same table as the master after he had, uh, after he had served him. And so he says, he applies this to the disciples and says that he thanked the servant because he did the things that were commanded him. I tell you not, it was his duty. And he turns the words to ourselves then, to, to themselves. So likewise he, when he shall have done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. I want to say a few words on this uh, this evening uh, and apply it to the state in which we find ourselves here as a congregation. Uh, servants, of course, <coughs> we are servants, uh, but servants who are called to a special office. And because we are called to a special office, <coughs> uh, we have special duties uh, to perform. That's just, just as uh, these uh, men had to uh, perform special duties, every servant did not perform the same duties. But this uh, is a privilege. It was a privilege to serve that master. It would be a privilege to see that he enjoyed the preparation that was made for him by his servants. It would be a privilege to uh, notice that he had taken his meal and that, uh, that he had received no rebuke for what he had done. Now, the point that he is bringing home to them, even when we have done all things that are commanded us, we are unprofitable servants. In other words, we are not contributing anything to God or to his way of salvation or uh, to his glory, except insofar as he may use us to that end. We are unprofitable servants. I am sure that every minister feels this and I feel it more and more as uh, they come to the end of the ministry that they are unprofitable servants. Uh, the work that they have to do is simply to serve, to serve. They have uh, learned a very hard lesson that they cannot bring anyone to life, that they cannot feed anyone that they cannot impart a blessing to anyone, that they cannot do the work which the Spirit of God alone can do, but they can be instruments in his hand to apply uh, what the Spirit intends to do. And uh, sometimes we don't realize what happens when people are brought to life, when a minister is teaching. When he's preaching the word of life, he doesn't know what is going on in the congregation. But uh, uh, he does uh, try to explain the scriptures to those who are hearing him. There is a sense in which he gets a certain amount of, a, of reward by watching the hearers. To see their response and their reactions. To see if they are able uh, to appreciate the meaning of the scriptures that are declared. And especially does it get this reward 
It receives the presence of the Spirit of God's wisdom as he declares that word, that he has grasped the attention of the people, that he is able to put a can perhaps here and there in his mouth through the Spirit of God, using him to that end. We generally don't realize that Scripture demands of every one of us the impossible. The impossible. Uh, first of all, when we think of the obedience to the commandments of God, we are asked by the word of God to love our the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. And certainly no one here would dare say that he has fulfilled that commandment. We are equally asked, before we are converted, we are asked to believe in the Lord, Jesus Christ. It takes a long time before we discover that that is an impossibility, until the Spirit of God brings us to life. People don't realize the tremendous uh, uh, work that is performed by the Spirit of God when he brings to life. We are unprofitable servants, we don't know how the Lord may be using our ministry to his own glory and to that end. We don't, at uh, least uh, that's how I feel, we don't look for rewards, so we know that there will be rewards. It's not, that's not why uh, we're proclaiming the riches of Christ, but because we are called. And there is a certain amount of struggle in obeying that call to, pro to proclaim the riches of Christ. It is not an easy thing. Uh, well, for some, like the uh, soul of Tarsus, for example, it was very easy, the way he was called. But there are very, very few who are called in that way. Neither, uh, the same is true, neither uh, uh, is the same thing uh, seen in uh, when a person is brought to life. It's very difficult for us to know where uh, uh, eternal life has been implanted because it is secret. We are apt to think that it must uh, develop into a theologian before we can conclude that he is a child of God. I am more and more today uh, leaning towards the situation which Elijah had. When God said to him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? I alone am left. He didn't think anything of the prophets that Obadiah had hidden a hundred and fifties and fed them with bread and water. All he was concerned with was his own glory. I have left seven thousand souls who have not bent their knees to bury. He knows every single one that is going to be born again in this congregation, whether young or old. He knows when, he knows the time, he knows the means that are going to be used. And although the efficacious prayer ascend and the Lord hears them and even answers them, the Spirit alone brings to life. What I want to bring before you is uh, 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 what really happens when a person is born again? When a person is born again? Well, we see that uh, uh, the, uh, the wind blows 
where it listed. We don't, we have no control over the wind and the wind, uh, the word for wind and the word for the spirit is the same. The spirit knows as he lists. He doesn't, uh, he's not asking our permission uh, to which uh, passion he will go or who, what conscience he deals with. There is one thing in particular of which uh, uh, all unconverted are guilty and they never confess it. They never confess it. And that sin is the sin of unbelief. They can never uh, understand uh, that not believing in Christ as the saviour of the world is a sin. Their conscience may certainly pick them regarding other sins. It depends a great deal on the way they have been educated and not even in the scriptures. And some are more sensitive than others. But the actual unbelief, the believing that he alone is the way of salvation, is something that doesn't, uh, they listen, but it, they never count it as a sin. They never feel their conscience uh, being pricked because they don't believe in Christ. They believe, they feel their conscience is pricked because they have broken the law. Even the law, they, can't, they know they can't fulfill it. But they can't then, they're not troubled by unbelief in Christ as an actual sin. And indeed it is a true mark of conversion when a person is concerned about this particular fact. Trying to believe in Christ and cannot. Trying to believe in Christ and cannot. He's then come to a stage where something has gripped him. They desire to believe in Christ and they feel that they cannot. It's not that they don't believe what he says, it is so that they feel they have, there is something there that they cannot understand, and that they cannot get to grips with. Uh, sin, the great sin that Christ uh, uh, said the people were guilty of was that uh, they didn't believe in him. Uh, when the Spirit comes, he will convict. Uh, people of sins, for convict is the better word there than reprove. Convict them of the sin of unbelief. This is the first, the first thing that the Spirit does. He, he, he comes with a conviction. I'm not saying it's the first step. I, we don't know what step is the first one. When we look at a true conversion, first as, it, uh, as the Spirit begins to work on us all, the first thing he does, of course, is to renew the will. No man has any power to renew his own will, so that he yields to the will of God. He renews the will. The next thing he does is he implants the graces, the primary graces of faith, hope and love in the heart. And when he implants the faith, and grace, uh, faith hope and love in the heart, he himself comes in and dwells in that heart. All these things take place in a moment, it is not something that uh, is done today and then the other part tomorrow and the other part next year. But how does the recipient feel? He may not know that such a thing has taken place. Neither may the minister know, he may not know, but he will rejoice if he sees a new attention that he didn't used to see in the face of a person as he listens to the word of God. There is a reward, as it were, for the picture there in the response of the people to the word of God and particularly to certain 
things in doctrine that seem to apply to their heart. But dear, that is not all that takes place when a man is born again. There is something far more important than that, or at least equally important. It is not only in the heart of the believer that something takes place. There is a repercussion in heaven. There is something, I should say, that that's taking place in heaven before it takes, or at least at the same time that it takes place in the heart. There is, first of all, the intercession of Christ. What does he plead? He pleads the atonement that he has rendered. He pleads the basis of the blood that was shed. There is the justification of that sinner. Justified by what? By the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to him. The, the man that is born again has no idea what the righteousness of Christ is. Has no idea what intercession is. Has no idea what sanctification is which now begins in his heart. As the spirit begins to sanctify his thoughts and actions. As he brings that soul under the control of the word of God as the only rule to direct us that we may know how to glorify him and enjoy him. That, uh, the repercussion in heaven there, there is, uh, the, there is joy among the angels over one sinner that repented. And of course when a soul is born again he begins to repent, repent of his sins. But he eventually reaches a stage where a particular sin is indeed in his repentance. And that is the sin of unbelief in Christ. That uh, he never thought that that was a sin until he is born again. Now I believe that very often in regeneration uh, this is taking place so quietly as the actual matter of generation. When uh, uh, a child is generated, of, uh, uh, when uh, uh, the mother begins to feel things that have taken place, uh, she knows very little about the exact time it happened, and very little about even the, the, even the knowledge they have today, how the uh, particular members of that little boy or girl grow, how they grow uh, within her and develop. They are at a stage where they cannot be seen as members, as actual members at the first stages. And so it is with the man in Christ at the beginning of his uh, uh, spiritual growth. There are many uh, failures connected with those who begin at the very beginning. And this is where the ministry, of course, can be extremely helpful. Not only from his own experience, but from the Word of God. As he tries to direct them into the truth. For uh, the doctrines of the Word of God are the only stable things that can establish people in the faith. It is uh, the Spirit of God alone that can apply, apply this. Now, when we think also of this, uh, of regeneration in this respect, uh, we think of the roots of this regeneration. It is goes as far back as eternity. That the Father, Son himself declared that the Father gave them to him in covenant before the world, before the foundation of the world. Given in love to the Son and uh, that none of these will be lost. Seen 
by omniscience, not only when they were to be created, but when they were to be born again. The time foreordained, the means foreordained. And uh, that is so clearly seen in the way in which Christ himself came into the world and uh, rendered his atonement. We may think wonder uh, how the atonement was, as it were, uh, in his efficacy going back right to the... And it's ever because they're going back right uh, to the Garden of Eden, where the first place was bestowed on uh, Adam and Eve on the basis of the atonement that was coming. Or shall we say on the basis of the covenant uh, of grace, where the atonement was promised by the Son then to be rendered in our nature. For the Father, who was saying to him, had no doubt as to what uh, he would do. He was seeing from the beginning, the time when it would be rendered, the day when he would say it is finished, the effects that it would have on all Christians down through the ages, and will have on all Christians to the end of time. It is not a small thing to be born again, but we are born again for a purpose, to glorify God. And uh, there is a time when those who are born again will develop and be witnesses for him that he is God. A time also when the, uh, graces will ma these graces will manifest themselves in their lives. A time when the image of God will begin to reveal itself in their words, in their face, even uh, in their daily walk and conversation. A time when eventually they will receive a reward of which they are holy and worthy, even as servants or as witnesses, of being, being translated to glory, where many things are given to them. We see them crowns, many crowns given to them, where they are kings and priests, when they are going to behold the Lord in his mediatorial glory there in nature, when they are going with the church of the Old Testament and those of the new who have gone home, when they have got rid of all their sins, Though the body is still in the grave, where they see Enoch and Elijah and perhaps some of those who rose after the resurrection of Christ to go up with him, if they went up. Uh, there uh, we have the end of the, of the reward of the witness of those who have been born again in this world. This has been uh, brought about through the ministry of unprofitable servants, unprofitable servants, who diligently uh, uh, labored at the throne of grace, labored through commentaries, labored in their minds and labored uh, in their bodies, who went around the districts, who tried to uh, delve into the knowledge that people had, who visited uh, uh, the Sabbath school who visits, visits the day school, who sees these children with the response that they can give to the teaching that is given to them. There are many workers that are contributing to the work in a congregation and we are very thankful for the organized work that is going on not only in this congregation but in all our congregations. 
And yet, we see the great difficulties that are coming in today, especially through the means of uh, uh, television and radio that goes into every home and even to every year as they carry them about with them. And the way that is drawing away the attention of our young from things spiritual to things that are carnal. And not to shut out the desire to go to church. There must be a special effort by office bearers and by ministers to try and curb this activity, whatever way it can be done. We have need of being uh, on our toes regarding these things. Uh, we are unprofitable servants. We may uh, have different work to, work to do at, uh, as that servant, of course, when he was in the field, he was uh, not uh, dressed the same as he would be when he was serving at the table of his master. And uh, we should be known by our dress, by our actions, by the way in which we attend the house of God and realize that we are in the presence of the Most High in a special way. We should also remember <coughs> that uh, uh, though we are in profitable servants that Jesus is going to give us a reward. Though we receive a reward here, uh, I don't think ministers in general think of their reward. At least I don't. Uh, I think less of it today than I ever did so far as that is concerned. Except, of course, that I, that I uh, think of what it will be like to be taken away from this world. I think of the way in which a soul separates from the body. I think of the sanctification, the first thing that take, must take place is the sanctification of that soul when it separates from the body. I think of the next step that has probably taken place is the angels that are carrying that soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to bring a time element in here because we go immediately to glory. And we think of what happens when we go there. A thousand questions arising immediately. As we think of the mind boggled by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne in his mediatorial glory and that in our nature. As we think of the sanctified ones that are there in the presence of the Most High, that are kings and priests, ruling as a were over their lives, and uh, offering praise, that is all that is after them as priests. They are not going to offer anything for their sins, but the praise unto the one who saved and who is able to save to the uttermost. The atonement that he has rendered is sufficient. Uh, to be offered by himself. He is in his three offices there, a prophet, priest, and king. He is exercising these all the time. And that power, his kingship, is ruling here on earth, though we don't see it. And the effects uh, uh, of uh, his priesthood is seen also uh, in our midst. The souls are brought to life. He reigns over our enemies, protects and delivers us from the evil one himself. The head of the evil one is bruised, his power has been taken away, he's protecting his church, he's ever present with them. Where two or three are gathered together in, the, in my name, I am there in their midst. So surely he must be here this evening, if that is so. But what is he doing here? 
Is he waiting also till your response to look unto him who is able to save to the uttermost? That is part of the effort that a Christian minister uh, has to put, uh, has to exercise as he becomes a minister of a congregation. But now the time has come for Mr. Montgomery and Mrs. Montgomery to leave this congregation. That doesn't mean that this ministry is brought to an end. No, because uh, I believe that he will be often used in the ministry uh, yet and enjoy the presence of the Lord as he goes to communions and uh, to the various calls that will be made on him when he retires and probably will be often in this congregation as well. Uh, it's uh, uh, a part of uh, uh, the call of God on him. Perhaps the question that arises, well, why is he retiring? Well, Jesus said to the disciples, it is expedient for you that I go away. Why? Because if I go and throw not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. I'm not applying that to Mr. Montgomery. But the reason was that there would be no atonement if he didn't go away. And that the work of, of uh, the atonement would not be finished unless he would go away. And uh, though they couldn't understand why he was going away, they would soon see when they themselves came uh, to be instruments in the hands of the Spirit of God to bring his church to life. We don't know why uh, ministers retire, except, first of all, that it is foreordained. What means are brought about to bring that foreordination to pass, maybe health, maybe uh, illness, maybe overburdened by the affairs of the congregation or by the there are many calls that are made on him. There are many things that uh, make it difficult for a minister, especially when he's getting old, to fulfill his duties as he would like. Uh, sometimes the burdens on a minister today are very heavy. They were very heavy in my time and they're very heavy still. I often came home from Edinburgh as committee on a Tuesday. Dead beast with nothing but a text in my heart. And I often went to grace with that text. The devil never kept me away from there. I determined I wouldn't do that. And I went there tired and spent and came out after these services refreshed. And that is the way the Spirit of God deals with us when we fulfill our duties as servants. There are duties of going to the home. There are duties of attending to the sick. There are duties of attending to funerals and to the many who are burdened and to the aged and the infirm, to hospitals and the various calls that are made on them, the calls of the church as a whole. All these things are, are keeping us, if it were, more and more burdens than the ministers of the present day. In my opinion, it's time these were restricted and uh, that more attention should be paid to their own home congregation. Too much time is spent on uh, these things in Edinburgh, but that is by the way. Well then, we are unprofitably caring. We have done nothing, not only that we have done nothing but what we should do, but we haven't done even what we should do. We haven't, I don't think any minister is satisfied 
with what he has done that least I am not and all would feel that I'm coming short of the glory of God let us pray O Lord we thank thee that thou art the same yesterday today and forevermore we thank thee that we can come to thee with all our burdens and we thank thee that thou dost encourage us to cast our burdens from the Lord and that he will sustain us we beseech thee to show thy goodness to Mr. Montgomery and his companion in days to come and grant them a sense of thy blessing in their, in their home as they leave this congregation. Be thou with them. And I know that the goodwill of the, the people will be with them. Do thou, O Lord, encourage the people themselves that they may look unto thee and cease their mind in their efforts to find a new pastor for the congregation as a whole have mercy upon them bless the rest of the service and whatever will be said or done and pardon sin for the redeemer's soul